Volume One, Chapter Nine of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine, The Princess at Home. Mary Beaton lived in a wonderful little house very near the walls of Old Kensington Palace. It was only chance which had given her a domicile, but it seemed sometimes to her, when she was in a mood of exaltation, that the hand of Providence itself had settled her down in the immediate neighborhood of the palace, where Queen Anne died beneath the very shadow of its walls. The house General Falcon and Lady Struthers had succeeded in getting possession of was a long, ancient, low-roofed building. It had only one story above the ground floor, and that upper story held only bedrooms. The whole day life and evening life of the house was therefore on the ground floor, and the reception rooms ran out of one another in a quaint and curious way. In each room there were long low windows, some of them shadowed by the trees of the Kensington Gardens, some of them looking on the walls of Kensington Palace. When it was decided that Mary Beaton should come over to England and set up her claims there, General Falcon went on in advance to find a suitable dwelling for her, and after a while Lady Struthers came to help him in his quest. General Falcon decided from the beginning that the heiress of the Stuarts could not condescend to occupy any house in one of the new and fashionable quarters. Belgrave Square, he put aside, after some consideration, rather as being under the social and historical condition undesirable, than because the rental was beyond Mary's means, though that was certainly the case. It had, of course, the traditional attraction, to a legitimist, that it was the scene of the famous pilgrimage to do homage to Charles X. But times had changed since that time, and General Falcon could not find any fragrance of divine right and exalted, self-sufficing legitimacy lingering now along the stuccoed lines and ridges of Belgrave Square. Eaton Square he held to be as utterly out of the question as Cromwell Road itself. Park Lane would not do, it was occupied far too much by hangers-on to the Hanoverians, as he put it, and by the aristocracy of birth and of money who habitually went to court. There was too strong a savour of Marlborough House about it for his purpose, he thought. So, when after the coming of Lady Struthers, and when things seemed well-nigh desperate, a strange chance threw the long, low, old-fashioned house at Kensington in his way, Falcon thought he saw the finger of Providence distinctly intervening for his guidance. He took Lord Stonehenge into council, and they arranged for a long tenancy of the house. Everything was prepared for Mary's reception by the dowager Lady Stonehenge, Lady Struthers, and General Falcon in permanent council, and when all was done, Lady Struthers and Falcon went back to bring their young mistress to her London home. Nothing could exceed the delight of Mary Beaton when she first ranged through the rooms of that delightful old house. She thought she could never have enough of it. She studied all its peculiarities and all its views and glimpses. She kissed Lady Struthers a dozen times in her rapture. She felt almost inclined to kiss dear old Falcon, too, so she told Lady Struthers in private confidence. With all her little dignities and airs, Mary was a thorough girl. Mary was very fond of Lady Struthers, after a fashion, but it was not surprising that she sometimes found this scion of the aristocracy a little tiresome. 
lady struthers prided herself on the length of her pedigree her mother had belonged to a noble highland catholic family and she herself had married she considered beneath her rank sir peter struthers had begun his career as an apothecary's assistant and had ended it as a court physician he had doctored various foreign royalties he had died after making an unaccountable and to his wife eminently unsatisfactory will by which the bulk of his fortune had gone to his children by a former marriage while lady struthers was left but a moderate annuity and the consoling reflection that she was suffering for having demeaned herself by such a union it had seemed natural enough that lady struthers should accept the position of governess to miss beaton and at the court of schwalbenstadt where the young lady was brought up lady struthers had revelled in titles and high life and had become so accustomed to addressing her acquaintances as princess countess or baroness as the case might be that she found some difficulty in adapting herself to humbler society in england it was a disappointment to lady struthers that miss beaton's claims were not at once recognized and that she did not immediately receive invitations to all the greatest houses the catholic coterie was all very well and lord stonehenge had proved himself a valuable ally but lady struthers wanted and expected something more than that general falcon and lady struthers had this in common and perhaps almost this only that they were both devoted to their young mistress they had watched her grow up from childhood with pride and delight they had bent before her petty wilful ways admiring her the more for them would she be a steward if she were not wilful they had yielded her an exaggerated deference exulting in the thought that her nature was too sweet for adulation to spoil it and even when scolding her for her shortcomings and tutoring her in what they conceived to be the duties of her position they had never succeeded in inspiring her with any wholesome awe of themselves gradually lady struthers supremacy had waned now she was a mere picturesque dummy for she was certainly very picturesque with her snowy hair and her stately presence an amiable chaperone whose ideas of propriety never interfered with her charge's inclinations general falcon however seemed with years to become more exacting and more tenacious of such authority as he held over miss beaton in truth mary sometimes felt a little puzzled by his manner and impatient of his system of surveillance his humour was by turns querulous suspicious and curiously emotional tender even impassioned she would have been more annoyed by the ill-temper were it not that the tenderness appealed to her warm heart and to all that was romantic and queen-like in her nature his affection she thought was something more than mere personal devotion it was devotion to the memory of her dead parents to a cause it was the living example of that mysterious poetic fascination which the stuarts had always exercised over their followers the day after the visit to the house of commons mary was in her own room her peculiar place of retreat some time before the regular breakfast hour it was her custom after the fashion of the continent to have her coffee alone in the room early and then to meet her household circle at a set dejeune a la fourchette about noon she seldom saw general falcon till the time of the midday meal and after that they usually began and got through the business they had to do 
a business which generally consisted in considering and dismissing absurd and impossible suggestions from unthinking and unsolicited advisers on this particular morning however general falcon sent a formal message to say that it would gratify him if madame would kindly allow him to wait on her in all superficial intercourse he treated her with an almost exaggerated ceremony madame at once accorded the interview and madame shrugged her shoulders and pursed her lips and pouted well knowing that she was to be scolded she did her best to escape censure she met falcon with a look of sweet disarming welcome but falcon was not to be disarmed as he entered gray erect with the scar on his forehead conspicuously white mary thought she had never seen his face sterner or more ill-tempered she was puzzled by a certain air of excitement and forced self-repression which she noticed in him what now i wonder she murmured half aloud and with a mocking accent london air is too stimulating for the general's nerves come something is wrong she went on in a louder tone well let us have it out what have i been doing falcon was silent for a few moments i am afraid that you shocked lord stonehenge and mr levin last night he said you were nearly going actually into the house of commons and you only laughed and made fun of it well there was nothing to weep over was there why should lord stonehenge care he is one of us as for mr levin and then you kept rambling about the terrace with mr bellarmin as if you were a schoolgirl a man like lord stonehenge could not approve of that mary gave up all thought of conciliation i wish you would not speak to me as if i were a schoolgirl she said petulantly i wish you would not act as if you were a schoolgirl he answered as petulantly i wish you would try to remember that you are not of the schoolgirl's age or of the ordinary schoolgirl's position i wish you would try and remember my position a little more than you do you scold me in a very disrespectful and disagreeable fashion what have i done that was so bad come tell me all my faults and heaven send me patience to listen give me a bead-roll of them but stay a moment i presume the task will be pretty long let us make ourselves comfortable she pushed a soft and heavy armchair towards him with an air of mock humility and settled herself on a great heap of cushions converted to the duty of an ottoman she settled herself down very comfortably unfurled her fan and waved it gently before her face she did not look at falcon her eyes were upturned had she looked indeed she might have been surprised by the gaze bent upon her a fierce melancholy longing almost tragic in its intensity it was as though falcon had dropped his mask for a moment and allowed play to the emotion he had been trying to conceal by his petty fault-finding his eyes literally devoured her and his face lighted by the gleam of ardour seemed for an instant youthful once more but mary saw nothing of this she appeared to be languidly studying the painted ceiling there was a minute of silence and then she said i am waiting general falcon waiting he said dreamily pulling himself together with a start and turning his eyes away for what madame waiting to be lectured to be scolded to be told of all my various sins of omission and commission won't you tell me i only want to be put right i'll promise not to be aggravating she said coaxingly 
oh it isn't any use he exclaimed with sudden sharpness i haven't any influence over you now any longer i'd better give up general falcon said mary solemnly what would you have did not i play my part properly last night you said that you wanted me to know influential people in the political world people who would take up my claims and see the justice of giving me back the estate which these hanoverians confiscated well isn't sir victor champion an influential personage you are extremely unreasonable thou shalt praise me to-day o caesar this was the least that i expected madame it is not for the descendant of the stuarts to boast of an introduction to an adventuress like lady saxon i'm not boasting general quite the contrary i behaved prettily to lady saxon last night from a sense of duty and indeed i thought i had put quite the right infusion of dignified reserve that's your phrase into my manner is she an adventuress then my instinct did not deceive me it's always so comforting to know that one may put trust in one's instinct of course i should have supposed her to be a very great and high-born lady if it hadn't been for my little inward monitor which labelled her with a big d doubtful what do you know about lady saxon general falcon enough to make use of her you are dreadfully melodramatic tell me the mystery i adore a mystery there is none said falcon let me advise you madame to treat this lady with a certain amount of reserve not to become too intimate with her not for example to discuss your private affairs with her your likes and dislikes your theories your feelings yes it is the want of that dignified reserve in your manner which i complain of in your conversation with mr bellarmine ah i understand mary interrupted with scornful amusement you are jealous of mr bellarmine that's it you are jealous because he is young and good-looking and famous and agreeable and because he interests me good gracious what have i said now a sudden wave of red rushed to falcon's face and overspread his forehead except where the scar seemed it leaving his cheeks pallid his eyes flashed angrily he bit his moustache and rose abruptly madame i was right when i accused you of levity and i when i told you that you were melodramatic she retorted what did you object to in my conversation with mr bellarmine he made an impatient gesture and moved a few steps from her without answering oh i know you want me to be stiff and formal and superficial to everyone but yourself you did not like my talking to him so openly about what i thought of the poor people and the state of england and everything why i wonder general falcon for heaven's sake let me be myself sometimes a young woman with heart and sympathies and yes some wish to amuse herself i want to have a taste now and then of a girl's natural life i am tired of this sham sovereignty i am weary of it all she spoke with impetuous warmth general falcon had stepped nearer her again he did not look at her his face still working with some untold emotion was turned towards the window god knows that i am weary of it too he cried with a burst of passion there was silence for a moment or two you speak strongly general said mary with a puzzled wistful glance at him are you tired of me he turned to her with a gesture of apology forgive me madame i forgot myself 
why are you unhappy are you tired of me mary repeated well yes in a manner the general spoke now in a forced mechanical voice dropping out the words slowly as if he were deliberating while he uttered them i am not tired of you but i am tired of trying to make you do the right thing and see things in the right way and i see that you rebel against the restraint i see that i bore you i see that my influence over you is weakening day by day and yes i get tired and sore and sorry and i don't see what is to come of it he threw himself into his chair with a heavy sigh my father would be grieved if he could know of this mary said softly more as if she were talking to herself than remonstrating with falcon he would be so sorry if he could only have known that the friend he loved best and trusted most would come to weary so soon of the task of taking care of his daughter how dare you talk in that way falcon exclaimed starting forward tremulous and excited you you are a wicked girl a wicked heartless girl to play upon me like this to bring up your father's name to say that i have wearied of taking care of you when you know that i only live for you oh say what you please torture me as you choose but don't cry don't don't begin to cry for there were tears in the girl's brown eyes and she put up her handkerchief to hide them general falcon sat like one terrified not knowing what to say or do after a moment or two mary looked at him with a serious face and eyes that were still moist and wistful general falcon she said tell me what is it that you want you cannot make me queen of england you know i can't make you queen of england he repeated and his eyes were fixed upon her with a rapt gaze that seemed more befitting a lover than an elderly guardian would i if i could i have dreamed so many wild dreams mary dreams in which you were the central figure dreams of glory and of poetry and of love his voice dropped in a sort of caressing cadence and the girl started and blushed i have dreamed so much he went on that sometimes i can hardly tell the real from the unreal the possible from the impossible i often think that dreams are my only real life general falcon said mary in a soft voice of compassion you idealize me you know you mustn't do that i'm only a girl and a very frivolous girl sometimes as you tell me yourself mary stuart was only a girl when she came to holyrood but she had in her face and her voice that magic which made men forget that she was the queen and made them dream wild dreams of ambitious love and daring deed ay and do the deeds there are women still who have such magic my princess women with the dangerous gift of fascination by which a man may be turned into a madman or a hero you are one of these mary you have that gift but there clings round you something more than the magic of the woman there is the magic of an historic cause i know it replied mary soothingly i like to feel that some of the romance of the dead and gone stuarts is revived in me and there are moments oh many many in which i am proud and glad to be a steward you must not think that i undervalue your devotion or that i don't know what it means do you know what my devotion means madame my princess my queen if you do know you are wiser than poor old falcon who makes himself wretched in trying to understand it he laughed a quavering uncertain laugh 
devotion like yours is the birthright of the stuarts said mary affectionately touching his hand lightly as she spoke i accept it as such dear old friend and i will try to tease you no more dream no more dreams falcon about magic charms and heroic deeds and impossible thrones make me glorious and rich if you please in a matter-of-fact nineteenth-century fashion curry favour if you like with her majesty's ministers present and to come and settle me in my historic inheritance with my historic thousands in good truth falcon she added with a laugh i think we shall need them for though this house isn't a palace and i am not a pauper i am quite certain that we spend more than we ought you must spend money falcon answered impatiently you must keep up an establishment it seems to me my good general that i myself am something of an adventuress i fancy that my stuart dignity might be supported without a hall porter and with a fewer number of men in livery and that i might have a better chance of heaven and should be a worthier daughter of the mother church if i spent more in charity and less upon this vain state and show but we have talked of this often enough and now i hope that our quarrel is over for to-day yes thank heaven murmured falcon in a relieved tone he seemed to have descended to the nineteenth-century level his emotion was past now and he leaned back composedly in his chair mary came and sat herself on one of the broad arms of the chair and laid her left hand caressingly on his shoulder at first he winced at the touch then as if with an effort he put up his right hand and placed it on hers yes dear old friend mary said you shall give me the list of all my sins offences and negligences but no more now some other time i am going to coax you i have a great great favour to ask of you you will take me to the east end and let me see the sort of life that goes on there come promise now i'll be as sweet as honey to you for a whole week if you will say that i may go she bent down and looked into his face with a childlike coquetry that was irresistible at least to general falcon he gazed at her fondly admiringly then he moved his hand from hers and timidly touched her soft cheek the contact might have been magnetic he withdrew his hand again so quickly and he gave a sort of shuddering sigh promise insisted the girl yes you shall go he answered you shall go with me alone with me there was a wildness in his manner of pronouncing the last words of which he himself seemed to become conscious for he added in a different tone and after a moment's pause perhaps it is as well that you should see for yourself what life is exactly my own notion and what i have been trying to impress upon you ever since we came to london i want ever so much to see an east end music hall and i don't want to be seen and known listen may i go in boys clothes i should like that because i should be so much more free and nobody could suspect who i was don't you see i am afraid that you would never be fit for a queen he said in a half melancholy remonstrance i every inch a queen she said and she sprang to a standing position and stood before him straight as a spear tall with one hand raised to her forehead as if she were placing a crown there and the other held on her bosom as though it grasped the symbolic orb general falcon had in his time seen many queens and empresses and princesses of all sorts nationalities and even colours but he thought in his heart 
that he had never looked on so queenly a form as that which now stood before him and challenged impeachment of its right to sovereign state mary threw herself down upon her cushions again i want to go to court she said defiantly to court but madame surely you don't think of what you say indeed falcon i am afraid i very seldom think of what i am saying or at least of what i am going to say i do now and then begin to think of what i have said after i have said it and the reflection is not always encouraging but i mean what i am saying this time i want to go to court if you wish to be presented at court merely as the honourable mary stuart beaton daughter of an english baron i presume that could be arranged falcon said doggedly but i should hardly have thought you would condescend to such a performance i want to see the sight but i suppose it wouldn't be the proper thing it would be like a recognition of the hanoverian family no we must not do that but i want to see the queen in private do you think you could manage that see the queen in private yes i want to talk to her about the condition of england the poverty the misery i am sure she could do something if only her eyes were open to the real truth i am sure she is not allowed to know anything about the wretched condition of so many of her subjects i mean of the people who are her subjects for the time you may be certain that her ministers and her courtiers and the ladies who are about her take good care to keep her in perfect ignorance of the truth well i want to see her and tell her all it is my duty i must not stick at points of etiquette where such interests are concerned falcon smiled compassionately madame you may take it from me that the queen knows as well what is going on all over the country as any man or woman in the land she has the newspapers read to her regularly she keeps herself thoroughly informed yes read to her there it is you see you admit it yourself read to her of course they only read the pleasant parts they leave out all that could distress her or make her think that she had duties to perform which they don't want her to be troubled about i understand these things general why i remember so well when i was at the residence in schwalbenstadt the newspapers were all carefully examined before they came under the eyes of the grand duke or the grand duchess the ministers and court people would not let either of them know a word that would give them any trouble i let the grand duchess know all the truth of some stories i can tell you and how the court people hated me for it ah yes i know mary beaton sighed with the air of one on whom long and varied experience has forced the knowledge of hard realities general falcon became more compassionate than ever my dear child he said with fatherlike tenderness this court here is not in the least like any of the little courts you have seen the queen knows everything and if there was anything in her power to do she would do it mary dropped the discussion but did not feel satisfied after a moment of silence she began again i should like to know the princess of wales general general falcon was becoming impatient madame you must know very well that sort of thing can't be for the present why do you let such ideas get into your head at such a time well we are also dull here you are a brave soldier and a good dear friend falcon but you are not lively come now are you you know you are not no i am not lively falcon admitted grimly and lady struthers dear thing 
she is very obliging and knows languages and has an exalted and very proper notion of the high life as they say in french novels mary laughed softly but you wouldn't call her a very amusing companion would you and i'm tired of the people we have to meet and the solemnity of it all everything so ordered and so stately and so cold and such a sham if one were a queen actually a queen reigning i suppose one would pull one's courage about one grandly and put up with it but to me and as we are here it has no reality it is all stiff chilly stupid i want to be amused and yes i want someone to admire falcon looked suddenly at her she caught the expression of his face and broke again into a little peal of musical laughter falcon's features were convulsed as they had been a little while ago and he kept his eyes down as if afraid they would betray him positively said mary your look means why don't you admire me you vain old hero well i do admire you very much but then i am so accustomed to you that i don't think of you what i mean is that i want to see someone from the world outside whom i could admire as a hero madame burst fiercely from falcon's lips then he checked himself and laughed discordantly exactly he said you are so accustomed to me that you don't think about me what if some day i were to do something which would force you to take me into account in your life something wild daring if i were to act one of those dreams i spoke of just now you would be obliged to think about me then madame what sort of dream i don't understand you to-day general falcon mary spoke uneasily of course i take you into account in my life don't you know that i'm very fond of you you don't need telling surely and now that i haven't a single relation left you are closer to me than anyone else in the world but i don't think of you in a-in a girl's way general no you don't think of me in a girl's way he repeated with a sardonic emphasis well let us look around there's lord stonehenge everybody who knows lord stonehenge must admire him oh lord stonehenge yes indeed i do admire him very much he is a man of gold he knows everything one could want to know he is ever so kind he is very handsome falcon interjected as if he were saying don't pretend to forget that he is very handsome yes that one sees she admitted he is not very young quite young for such a man falcon declared authoritatively he is only just over forty only just over forty mary made a little grimace oh yes i admire him i think he is a little shy of me and do you know my good falcon an idea has once or twice come into my mind that some of you are making up a little scheme to marry me to lord stonehenge she spoke with the utmost composure and looked quietly into falcon's eyes waiting for a reply falcon appeared embarrassed madame he said gravely if any hint of that kind were to reach lord stonehenge's ears he would be shocked and horrified mary glanced at herself in the glass and smiled you understand quite well he replied almost gruffly lord stonehenge would regard it as presumption on his part to lift his eyes to the daughter of the stuart kings it would be impossible for him to devote himself as he does to you and your cause if any such talk were to get about i beseech you madame to guard your impulsive utterances 
i observe my dear general that you have not disclaimed the intention all the same mary said quietly i never supposed that lord stonehenge was a party to it or to anything half so amusing suppose that i were to take a liking to him she added to fall in love with him what would have to be done then should i have to propose to him and suppose his modesty and his devoted allegiance were to compel him to refuse where should i be then i don't think you ought to talk in that way madame well let us talk in some other way i wish you would tell lady struthers to write and ask mr bellarmin to dinner mr bellarmin yes i think he is very clever and he amuses me and i'm sure he has a career before him and he isn't like everybody else i want him to dine here general or somewhere else where i am going to be i want him asked to lord stonehenge's when we go down there see about that general falcon i have no doubt madame that whatever you insist upon can be done but i would have you remember that some people call mr bellarmin a political adventurer what is an adventurer general in politics you say lady saxon is an adventuress i have a notion that i am a political adventuress now how do you define a political adventurer is it one who goes in quest of adventures and to whom life is only a game i wish i were a man and an adventurer in that sense it must be delightful mary allowed a half sigh to escape her well what we call a political adventurer is a man who has no fixed principles who goes into politics rather to advance himself than to advance any great cause but my good general falcon what an immense number of adventurers there must be in english political life i never name any public man without being told by somebody that he is utterly unprincipled that he has no good purpose whatever that he is only thinking of himself and of his own ambition and so forth and so forth i don't see in that case how mr bellarmin can be any worse than most other men and he has certainly the advantage of being young and handsome and agreeable he may amend falcon he may repent he may develop wonderful principles some day he may be the moral hero of the coming england meantime let us have him to dinner madame is mistress in her own household is she falcon really now is she mary smiled at him mischievously she had apparently forgotten her promise not to tease him i am so glad to hear it for there are times do you know when i should not quite have thought it mary beaton was it must be owned in a somewhat provoking mood to-day falcon stood under severe self-restraint i hope he said that neither lady struthers nor i have been unduly interfering oh no no my dear creatures you have been absolute perfection i fancy you were a good deal too near perfection for me but you will remember mr bellarmin falcon i am sure that he is not by any means perfection and he will suit me all the better for that i will speak to lord stonehenge said falcon stiffly thanks and now about the east end that shall be arranged madame since you are set upon it a little perhaps after the stonehenge visit and mind i shall wear boys clothes now you know you have promised and in return i have promised to admire you to consult you to adore you seriously to be so sweet to you general and so good 
i shall never believe in your affection again if you are going to be as inflexible and as unyielding about the proprieties as you try to be on most occasions unyielding about the proprieties and i have consented to allow the heiress of the stuarts to go to an east end music hall in boys clothes unyielding oh mary my princess you see too well how blind and foolish are my affections he rose and strode up and down the room mary looked at him with amusement in which there was a faint trace of perplexity now general if you must be theatrical imagine that i am the queen of scots as an archer of the guard you know she was up to a good many pranks it's in the stuart blood that reflection will comfort you i know you like to please me she went on in a different tone and i suppose i do like to try your patience sometimes there's not the least doubt that when i get married i shall try my husband's patience and temper terribly you don't like me to talk of marrying general but i suppose that i may take a husband some day i'm not in the act of settlement you know and there's nothing to prevent me from marrying a shoeblack indeed madame he exclaimed bitterly i have almost brought myself to believe that your marriage would be the best thing for you and for me i shall at once set about introducing suitors to your notice that's right understand i shall want to govern this husband absolutely i shall take positive delight in conquering him and taming him and making him obedient and submissive yes and you will despise him if he is obedient and submissive said falcon with a melancholy laugh i wonder would that be so do you think i don't know at all i haven't followed out my track of thought so far i have only got to the subjugation point i have enjoyed in advance many a triumph over his complete subjugation and his final acknowledgment that he was subjugated that he was my captive and my slave and so forth but i haven't studied the question beyond that point that has been my skyline my horizon i haven't asked myself how i should feel to my slave when he had meekly put on his collar and accepted his yoke you don't like all this nonsense do you falcon i can see by the look on your face that you disapprove of it highly excuse me madam i was not venturing to express disapproval or approval but i would remind you that i came at this early hour to talk over some matters of business before luncheon and that luncheon time is now near at hand you are right general falcon your words recall me to myself as the people say in the plays well let us get to business i dismiss my fantasies and my as yet untamed husband go on i am all attention so general falcon went into a great number of questions of policy and expenditure and so on and one might have fancied from the way in which mary lolled carelessly upon the cushions and toyed with the fan in her hand that she was not listening to a word he said but she every now and then drew her eyebrows together and interrupted him with a shrewd question or made a quiet keen suggestion which showed that she was not altogether the frivolous girl that she seemed end of volume one chapter nine